This is on my Kindle, so let me... Yeah, I, I think the, the key slokas uh, from last time were, uh, uh, I think 23, right? 23 was a big one. Um, yeah, so... Let me bring this up, sorry. So, um, so in the in the in the uh, last session, we spoke about um, basically the method, right? So the the method of meditation, and talks about the single pointedness. That is that is one, um, and and the uh, so 21, 22, 23, I think it gives a complete picture, uh, Swamiji says in the book, uh, I'm just highlight, I'm just reading that out of the book who is charming. Uh, these four verses together give a complete picture of the state of yoga and Krishna ends with a very powerful call to man uh, that everyone should practice this yoga of meditation and self-development, right? So when the mind is completely restrained as explained in the four stanzas, it attains a serene quietude and in that silence, gains the experience of the self, not as anything separate from its, uh, itself, but as its own true nature. Um, so, that, uh, so for those who, joining, who joined us just now, I'm just reading some passages from the, the verses that we covered last, and just so that as a, as a context, and then we can, we can get started, obviously. So it's also, um, uh, I would say, interesting that you know to, to be able to attain that quietude in meditation. And if you work backwards, we spoke about how that, that's possible through shama and dhamma. I mean, roughly translated to shama and dhamma, which is restraint of the mind, restraint of the sense organs. But then if you take a step back even further, um, you, uh, I think it's clear that even restraint of sense organs is not possible unless we have lived a life of moderation, right? Because, um, because if, 
in our daily life we are going overboard everything in terms of in in terms of everything in terms of what we eat how much we sleep how much we work how much we engage in our social activities whatever right or or um with a phone or watching tv what you name it in all the different activities that we perform how much moderation we have applied if you work work that in you will see that restraint of senses is not possible unless we have already practiced moderation in daily life right so we kind of see the different steps uh, uh coming together here right because if you want I, I yeah otherwise having single pointedness is al- almost impossible so somebody also talks about desires um uh, in relates uh, in relation to this because when we meditate and as we look into um our own minds and see the thoughts that are going on it is um many of it or most are related to some type of desire whether it is um wanting something getting rid of something um planning for the future dwelling in the past so it's it's one of these things so how do you reduce that so that it can point to in the in, using the intellect right he talks about somebody talks about how do you use the intellect to restrain the mind so it is basically it is this conversation that's happening inside our mind which is that um uh, the intellect is going to well the mind is going to keep bringing up these things um and the intellect is going to try and bring it back right bring it back constantly as the mind keeps going away drifting away the intellect is going to bring it back into uh, the goal of at that time of meditation which is to bring it to one single pointedness and from single pointedness you kind of launch into a higher state where that single thought also falls off at some point um uh, leading to an experience of uh, the self and bliss right so and that's kind of the the uh, method or what happens that that's that was described and um um somebody also talks about how and in these verses uh, shri krishna also talks about how this once you experience that it doesn't it's not a uh, it's not a blip it's not something that you kind of it, it stays with you me yeah, asking um th- that's kind of how i interpreted it once you have that experience of uh, oneness uh, with brahman it is not something that's going to go away it is with you uh it's a one way street kind of transformed in some ways so um yeah so that is the the other one that i found interesting again going back uh, i had some time a lot more time is to kind of these verses are very 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 interesting and so many uh, <laughs> uh different um a really great takeaways here right so he talks about yoga being the uh, um well dukkha some some yoga um yoga right i mean in the sense that the state of disunion from every union with pain <laughs> uh and, and, so you i'll read it again so yoga is a state of disunion you're disengaging from all the union with pain <laughs> so uh, that's kind of a very interesting play of words um uh so he uh, so he, in these verses yoga is defined like that right so um and then he goes on to say swamiji in his commentary goes on to say that to get detached 
so in that detachment, to get detached from the mechanism of perceptions, feelings, and thoughts um, would naturally be the total detachment from pain yoga. Um, and detachment is only possible when it has attached itself to another, right? So for the mind, detachment from pain caused by the unreal is possible only when it gets attached to the bliss. That is the nature of the real, right? So yoga is that detachment with the union with pain. Um, and then that detachment is only possible when you, you've given the mind something else to get attached to, which would be the, um, uh, which would be uh, the oneness with self, right? So I'll stop here. I mean, uh, I just thought this is this was really a very interesting uh, set of slokas that we covered. Um, I'll let others chime in. So. Very well summarized, Kishore. Very cool. nicely. Thank you. Yeah, just just to add one more point, I think uh, Kishore was, uh, I think that got discussed was, um, in addition to using the intellect, etc, to subdue the mind, I think uh, one aspect we also discussed was I remember is about uh, the importance of discipline. And this is something that uh, one, uh, you know, uh, has to cultivate over a period of time. Yeah. and uh, try and train the mind in a certain manner and for that is when we discussed uh, the importance of single pointedness and other activities that we do outside of meditation to yeah. be able to ensure that meditation also works for us the way it is to be done yeah so i think that is and the only addition ways, that right? just thought the more you meditate the more easy it is to yeah, yeah, yeah. focus on the more, yeah, yeah. the more you focus yeah. and yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you can clearly see this i mean uh, when we take a I mean, there are these uh, work techniques called Pomodoro and other things that, you know, they talk about just doing one thing for a certain period of time, don't get distracted between multiple. But if, again, if you, when you do that with single pointedness, then meditation you know, obviously becomes easier. Uh, good point. Sure. Yeah. And I think uh, just uh, one more point, uh, I mean, I love the 6.22, that there is no benefit which is, uh, which is bigger yeah. than that. So again, reiterating why we should be doing all, all of this to yeah. begin with. Actually, if you see the verses, a lot of verses are very similar in, and it's more of a reiteration and a perspective which gets built, you know. Um, even I see whatever we have spoken just now is also the summary of what comes from 26 to 30, right? Yeah. Uh, it's not very different, but yes, the perspective, you know, is uh, reiterated again and again, yeah, as to how one you should, uh, you know, do meditation, yeah. Should I read the slokas? Should we? Yeah, okay, I will do. Yeah, just. Okay, 6.26 to 6.30, right? Yeto yeto nischarati manas chanchala mastiram tatas tato niyam yetad atmanyeva vasham nayet prashanta manasam hyenam yoginam sukamuttamam upaiti shantarajasam brahma bhutamakalmasham Yujjain evam sadatmanam yogi vigata kalmashaha sukena brahmasam sparsha atyanta sukha manush atyanta sukha manshute 
ಸಮದರ್ಶನ ಪಶ್ಯತಿ ಪಶ್ಯತಿ ತಣಶ್ಯಾಮಿ ಸಣಶ್ಯತಿ okay i'll just uh, start with one or two points here um i think for me verse number 26 there were three four points that came up one is that um, see meditation itself is like a three step process right um the process step number one is to move away from the external world okay and uh, step number two is to bring the focus back to god and step number three is something which you need to um correct in case the there is a wandering of the mind back into the external world all of which require effort right uh so 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 basically uh these are the three steps and if step 3 happens then you go back to step 1 and 2 and that's when you start to sort of you know uh work on your uh, practices to be ensuring that this becomes a way of life yeah and when it comes to uh you know meditation um the yogi is the one who has actually perfected this art um of quieting the mind and um so the one who is able to do this obviously has you know uh, attained uh, you know blissness and in 28 um i think um, what i read in one of the you know commentaries is that happiness itself is you know classified into four uh, you know buckets right um in fact uh, it talks about uh, um you know tamasic happiness rajasic happiness sattvic happiness and also nirguna happiness so tamasic is what you actually uh, you know coming from tamasic activities like indulgence in you know um anything like alcohol or you know cigarettes or sleep or violence or whatever it is i mean um uh, on end of eating rajasic happiness is uh, you know coming out of rajasic activities which is gratification of the senses of the mind and uh, satvik is the one which is you know uh, the happiness that you derive by practicing the right virtues right like compassion you know cultivation of knowledge okay and uh, nirguna happiness is the divine bliss of god which you attain uh, of which um, it is infinite right and which is permanent so that's how uh, happiness has been classified uh, you know as tamasic rajasic and satvik even in one of the other commentaries i read was um, you know even the tamas meditation is classified japan meditation is also classified as <clears throat> you know tamasic rajasic and satvik um satvik is when you do you know for the love of god okay and uh, rajasic is when you do with an intention of gaining something out of the activity that you're doing uh tamasic is uh, you know you think of god only when there is 
a requirement for you to, you know, when you're in a problem or a misery that you want to come out of it, right? So, so what is being advocated, obviously, is the Sattvic way of, you know, cultivating, you know, virtues um, and, uh, you know, practicing meditation. Um, of course, what really, you know, sort of um, was an aha moment for me was the verse number 29 and verse number 30, which in some way, uh, you know, re-emphasizes the fact of what we read in chapter 5 as well, okay? Uh, the Samatvam, uh, you know, concept of seeing, um, you know, God in everything, um, you know, and um, it summarizes very beautifully, you know, um, if you're able to bring God into your daily life, um, then you know, you start to accept things uh, in a very positive light. So even if somebody was to hurt us, then, you know, we don't look at it as something of, you know, a resentment or hatred, but we try to understand and delay it and ask this question, if God was sitting there and doing this to me, then what is God trying to teach me in this, you know, experience, right? So by doing that, you tend to actually not develop a sense of hatred, and resentment to the other person, but you more more or less accept what is being said, and then see how you can think of bringing, you know, uh, you know, do, doing away with the negative sentiments that actually come along. So similarly, if you know, if you're attached to something, right, um, or uh, it, it could be a a friend or a relative or somebody who's very close to you, um, you know, even there, you know, bringing God into daily life by actually saying that you know it is the Lord who is seated in the other person. So in this manner continues to be absorbed in the devotional practice of being connecting everything with the you know um, uh, with god and similarly if there are areas to lame, lament as well over past incidents i think it's a question of asking oneself in terms of you know how is it that this is actually helping me to actually move forward in my spiritual journey in fact um, you know um, ttr in one of his lecture had spoken about it that you know um um Anything that happens around you, you know, if you learn to accept it, it becomes a positive emotion. And anything that happens around you, if you tend to resent it, it becomes a negative emotion. Okay. Now, now for example, if somebody has got a promotion in the, you know, uh, around you, uh, you learn to accept it, it becomes a positive emotion, which is inspiration. But you don't tend to accept it, it becomes a negative emotion, therefore it becomes jealousy you know, right? Uh, even for example, uh, if suppose somebody was to tell you that you're going for a whitewater rafting, you know, if you learn to accept it, right? Um, then what happens? It becomes a positive emotion and it becomes an adventure. But if you were to resent it, then it becomes a negative emotion and becomes fear, right? So, so, so what he would say is that in every situation that you actually encounter, you know, learn the first art of accepting it, right? Once you learn how to accept it, then you will look at it in a positive light. I think to me, uh, this sloka also actually, Yomam Paschati Sarvatra, is actually a very beautiful one which summarizes that to me, saying that if you were to see God in everything, in every form, then your ability to take it and accept it also becomes much better. And then it is more positively linked. And in some way, you continue your union with God, despite of whatever you're doing in the external world. Yeah. So, so that's, that's my take on uh, these five verses. Yeah. Very nicely covered. Yeah. Anyone else wants to add anything? 
I liked in, in verse 26, um, when they're you know, it's explaining how to meditate um, and, and explaining how you know, the mind, uh, its nature is to be restless and, and to wander. And, uh, and so you have to give it something else to think about. And I think that that uh, is a good, very good tip for beginners, you know, how to, how to actually change from thinking about one thing to constantly contemplate on these spiritual, um, you know, uh, topics and, and God and, and sort of get the mind to go in that direction rather than keeping on thinking about other things. <clears throat> I, 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 I like that, you know, uh, in the Gita, it, it goes to that level of, you know, simplicity and, and talking to all levels of people like, you know, so for beginners, I feel like this is a great um, tip. It's like an aha moment as to how to get started. Sorry, Kishore, go ahead. No, no. Uh, thank you, Manu. I, I, I was about to point to the same thing because I think this is a, this 26 is an important one uh, to understand, right? And the fact that mind is um, by nature restless and unsteady, right? As, they, uh, as it's pointed out, asthira and chanchala and asthira, right? So in fact, Arjuna uh, asks in one of the following passages, okay, how do we... Uh, the mind is so um, restless, how do I even con begin to contemplate controlling it, right? I mean, it's a question that is going to come up later in this, uh, uh, in this chapter, uh, and which is uh, very, very, very true. And it's, especially when we start to meditate, um, and, and it was, this was true for me, you know, when I started on this journey, um, it, it's easy to get uh, into despair because, not me, not is because depending on our individual situation, it might take, uh, th this takes a long time sometimes, right? Uh, and each time you go to meditate, you end up seeing that uh, you feel as if you have not succeeded, right? Initially, because the mind is uh, wandering and understanding that that's how mind is going to be because that is its nature is very important because otherwise we give up more easily. It's like, hey, you know what? Meditation is not for me. You try it a few times, it's hard, then you just give up, right? But it is important to understand that's how mind is and this is how it is for everyone. It is not just for you. Uh, it is, that's how it is for every single person. And uh, um, so understanding that, that uh, mind is going to be unsteady and the process again, the second part is the process is going to be slow. There is no magic pill that's going to, uh, or a one particular mantra or a, some kind of technique that's just going to somehow um, get the mind to be steady in, on one thought. This is a slow, steady, um, slow and steady progress kind of a process. It's going to take time. You have to be patient and kind of go with the flow uh, in this, right, and and to accept the mind as it is today, right? Um, years, decades, lives have um, left imprints on the mind, and those imprints are not going to go away in a few days or a few weeks even. So 
um, yeah, just meet the mind where it is, accept for what it is uh, today, and then uh, meditation becomes a lot more easier. And uh, there is no success or failure in meditation. The success is basically that you sat for a few minutes. That is already success. That is success. In fact, there is no further success or failure in meditation, right? There is no good and bad um, meditation. The fact that you've sat down and you've observed, even if the mind is really very, very um, um, restless on, on a particular day, the fact that you realized it and we are aware of it is, is the success, right? So um, I just wanted to mention that as we, uh, as we get into this, um, it's, it's very easy to feel that we are not making progress, but eventually that turns, eventually that turns. And uh, um, I remember somebody, uh, somewhere I, I, there was a good analogy, yet another analogy, many of them are there. This is a, you know, if you've been to any of the beaches and people trying to take the surfboard and go to the other side, they struggle through the initial uh, ones because that's where the waves are strongest and they have to cut across that to go to the place where they can now stand and actually uh, do a, I mean, a board by standing um, to calmer water. So initially it is going to be hard. You're going to feel a lot of resistance from the mind to be able to sit in silence. Um, but eventually that uh, turns around and what you see on the other side is a lot. Uh, it, it is worth going through the, uh, the effort to get there. It, it's like what Subhu was saying earlier about acceptance. You know, we have to also be accepting of our mind, I guess, and Absolutely. understand it. Absolutely. You know, when we, when we take an art form, right, whether it's um, singing, vocal, or an instrument, we do accept that, hey, you know what, that needs to be daily practice, and this is going to take some time. I'm going to learn with my guru for, you know, 5, 10, 15 years. And oftentimes uh, it's a lifelong journey. But um, somehow we don't accept that with meditation, right? Um, so it is the same thing. You, it is constant. Uh, I, I, Yoga Sutras goes, also goes in, in very, very high level of detail um, with meditation and talks about it being consistent, regular, daily, same time, same place, as much as possible. Um, and so they call it, they talk about uh, abhyasa and um, dispassion, vairagya, as the prerequisites for, uh, for being able to meditate, right? That abhyasa is practiced daily um, uh, without fail, no matter the uh, situation, no matter the condition, right? Whether it's there's a wedding in the family, I, you know, uh, I mean, we have somebody in our family who also is a meditator in, in an extended family. His daughter's wedding, right? The wedding is at 9 a.m. And uh, on that particular day, when I, when I woke up, he was, he was at, at 4 a.m. He was completing his routine because he, uh, he felt, I, I, you know, just because it's my daughter's wedding, I just cannot miss this, right? So he just woke up two more hours earlier um, to complete his routine, right? So... That level of dedication, discipline needs to be there, and eventually it will happen.
27 also talks about, I, I would say, the state of uh, samadhi, right? Uh, in terms of being one with Brahman, it is a state of samadhi. Though they don't use the word samadhi here, um, right? It's essentially the same thing. See, also one point that we discussed, I remember last time also was, uh, you know, abstinence from evil doing or wrongdoing, you know, um, which is the basis, right, to start with. And, um, you know, um, there was an example that was quoted earlier, um, you know, between a fly and a bee. Okay. Um, so a fly actually, um, you know, tries to do everything. It, it goes and sits on the sweet uh, in the sweet shop, um, but also it goes and sits in the trash in the, you know, dustbin, right? But uh, the bee is one which is, uh, you know, only looking for the nectar and the flowers. Yeah, it knows where to sit. It knows where to actually, you know, uh, get what it wants, right? Uh, so the analogy that is given there is between the fly and the bee. I mean, not like, you know, going and sitting anything and everywhere. If you really want to practice something and uh, bring that to your fore, I think it's important to start with the essentials of, you know, abstinence from certain uh, things, uh, trying to get more sattvic in your way of life, um, and then uh, trying to cultivate this. And it's a matter of time, actually, for anybody uh, who's practicing this, right? Um, like, um, people say that if you want to be a Sachin Tendulkar, you know, you can't generally start playing for India from day one, just because you liked and understood how the game of cricket play, you know, is played, right? So you'll have to do the practice in the nets, you will have to, you know, do different layers before you actually, you know, uh, get qualified for Ranji and then than the Indian cricket team, etc. So similarly, uh, an exercise like this is going to take time. Um, it's 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 good that you know, uh, you know. Sometimes I I think of the Japanese concept of kaizen. No, you just need to apply kaizen on yourself, right? Okay. So today I'm doing something in a certain manner. Can I be a better version of myself tomorrow, right? So today I could sit for a few minutes, maybe two three minutes. I couldn't do more than that. So tomorrow, can I see if I can extend it to? four or five or whatever it is, right? So I think slowly one can actually build on it. And um, I think I, I think the fundamental there is also that how are we doing things outside of this uh, dhyana meditation for us to be able to ensure that meditation works for us, you know, in the long run, yeah. And I thought the fly and the bee example is a good example because the more you <laughs> keep switching and swapping, yeah, yeah. Very, very good one. That's a great example. <laughs> yeah. Twenty-nine and thirty are also like sister shlokas. So in one you see Atma, which is pervading everything and everything inside Atma. Yeah. And in the thirtieth it is uh, you see me pervading everything and everything in me as a as a God. So you can either see it from self or you can see it from God God side. So you can either be from the Gyan Yoga side or the Bhakti Yoga side. It is uh, similar thing, but uh, uh, I think this is where it moves a little bit away from dhyan. It is more of with open eyes. You have to see uh, self in everybody, so not just when you are meditating, because then you are not dealing with people. So this is when you move into the vyavahar 
when you go into the transactional world, then you start seeing. And some other she is, uh, you know, one who sees, uh, you know, the evenness in everything. And then the question of whether, you know, person is bad or good will go away. So you'll not reach it because you are, you need to be Samdarshi, that everybody is good. So, and, and that is Atma and that is you. So, and so actually, so. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Sipu. Sorry, is it? Yeah, I don't know whether the internet is wrong. I mean, a bit bad at my end. Uh, I, I thought I missed you, Alpana, somewhere towards the end. Did you all feel the same or it's only me? It's only you. I think. Okay, it's... okay. Sorry. No, you were saying something, but. So, go ahead. No, no. Uh, no, continue because I, I didn't hear some parts of it, so I'm not sure where it was. Okay, no, I was just saying that, you know, so then it's outside of sitting in meditation, but in the real transactional uh, life, you need to see Atma as self in everybody. So then the part yeah, of yeah, yeah. being judgmental will go away. That there is yeah. nothing to because it is you in everything. So. Yeah, right. I like the, the part where in, uh, in 30, uh, they say misguided God is man. And uh, yeah. <laughs> rightly yeah. guided, a man discovers himself to be nothing other than the supreme. I, I really like that. Um, misguided yeah. God is a man. So, uh, Atma, this so, is um, basically describing a yogi, right? Somebody who. Um, uh, I, so, we can look at it both ways. One is that um, a yogi who has. It's describing somebody who has that samadarshi or samadarshan, right? Uh, um, and it can also describe as somebody for us uh, who are aspiring to be one to to start thinking that way, right? Uh, um, for them, it becomes a nature, right? Becomes natural. For us, it's not natural, obviously yet. Um, right. I can speak for myself, but um, but eventually that would be what happens when uh, when you when you uh, um, feel one with Brahman, that's you start to see everybody in that in the same way. Absolutely, right. absolutely, yeah. So, in fact, uh, the verse number 29, right? Um, there is a nice analogy, you know. Um, so there's an example of you know, um, toys made up of, uh, I mean, uh, sweets made up of you know, uh, different forms and shapes. Um, and uh, just in case, you know, you're taking your kid there, the kids are fighting over the fact that they want this particular shape, you know, in the form of the airplane or this in the form of a teddy bear, etc. But you all know, both of all of us know that it is actually the sweet at the end of the day, right? It's just made into different forms and shapes. So, 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 so it's like, you know, for a child, uh, he may want the sweet in the form of an airplane for the, you know, or he may want it in the form of, uh, you know, teddy bear, etc. But, you know, for people who have evolved, they understand that it is one and the same, you know, both are going to be sweets and both are going to be, you know, satiating to the extent that is required, you know. Um, so, so I think it's a nice way to look at it, saying that even, uh, you know, Chinmaya used to say, Chinmayananda used to say that, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, when you look at 
pots made up of clay there are different varieties and forms but end of the day the mud is the same so for a, if mud was to talk to the other mud in the other pot it would actually be that you know there's no difference between you and i right um so so it's if at that level um you know you would not find the difference but it's only when you go granular down uh it may be different uh forms of uh, mud coming up in the form of you know, different forms and shapes similarly golden ornaments the example of golden ornaments the similar example was also given for you know the wave on the ocean right um so if if one was the gold was talking to the other gold and the other uh you know uh, ornament that has been made uh, there would not be any difference so similarly the essence of uh, brahman is the same in everybody right uh, it's said that we come in different shapes and forms um and uh, to me it is all about uh, how do we bring god into our daily life you know how do we relate everything to god and somewhere here i also found a reference to chapter 5 where he talks about the you know equating samatvam right saying a bull a buffalo an elephant you know uh, is all brahman right um um so i thought this is being you know stated in a different way here right saying that if you were to attain that then you would get samatvam as a result of it whereas there it tends to tell you that you know samatvam is a way of you know understanding that brahman is everywhere so it's just a little flip is what i thought uh, you know between the two uh, chapters another similar example which is very uh, which is used uh, in a lot of places is uh, the dream example and that makes it yeah. even more clearer that in the dream it's just your mind which is taking different shapes so you yeah. are pervading the dream through and through yeah the whole dream is actually in you it's not outside there so it's a great example for both uh, 29 and and 30 yeah yeah so the um when i used to listen to Swami P's talks, you know, and this was before <clears throat> a few years before when my meditation practice had just started as well. So he used to always say, um, in many different stanzas and different contexts, he would say, um, "The world is in me, right?" And um, so I, I, I would struggle to understand what does that mean? What does that mean, right? I mean, we're trying to think of it in the physical. um since and it, it would make no sense to me i would i would struggle whenever those kind of statements were made i would really struggle um but um a, a key thing as meditation progress it, it is it, it is possible to see what that statement means um it, you know finally a, the the fact that all of no matter what it, it's coming through the sense organs it's been made sense of in the mind and the mind is presenting that picture uh, to the intellect to make decisions and you kind of see that uh, um, as a as somebody beyond the mind and intellect even for a few glimpses of that it kind of gives you um validation of that statement for yourself right i mean it is one thing to read and to kind of understand what they are trying to say but the other thing is to kind of see it for yourself um experience it experience the play of the mind and the intellect and what happens and then it starts to um you can uh, ingest it in a more uh, deeper way right it becomes natural to to now understand what that means right so i just mentioned so um i i yeah i look at again meditation in different layers right whether it's calming the mind understanding some of these deeper uh concepts because you get to see 
the, what's happening. Um, and then obviously in, in even higher states to understand, to, uh, to be one uh, in, in Samadhi, right? I mean, that, I'm, I'm assuming that would be a completely life-altering type of a, uh, an experience even though it's not just maybe it, it changes you completely. It's a one-way street. After I, I have a, uh, that's what it seems to indicate here. But um, even these smaller things uh, along the way kind of give so much more um, realness to it. It's not just something we read. It's not just theory. Uh, and you can actually, uh, there's direct percep perception that's happening along the way. I think two other points got mentioned, you know, um, one was that, uh, of course, the control of the senses, uh, but it also says, uh, you know, Chinmaya says that, in, uh, you know, you may have controlled your senses, but it's even then the mind is not necessarily going to be quiet, right? Uh, so I think he's treated those two aspects as two different things altogether. So one is controlling of senses, which is something that you need to do but that doesn't really necessarily mean that you will quieten the mind so control your senses and quieten the mind and only then do you trans you know uh, you know move uh, forward in terms of uh, dhyana and meditation i think that was uh, one other point which comes to my mind you know when i was uh, which came to my mind when i was reading this yeah. 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 and and for that mind to be quietened is the other point that he mentions is about the vasanas uh, because it tends to sort of pull you into certain areas uh, due to, you know, whatever you have accumulated over a numerous births. So it's not only about controlling senses, but it's also ensuring quietening the mind and the mind will not quieten. You have to wait for the vasanas to sort of get, you know, removed. And only then you start getting into the quietening mode and then starting to move towards uh, uh, attainment of bliss. Right? Am I right in this? Understanding, yeah. yeah. That's why in our Shampati, we have four of these things. So, Shama is control of senses, then yeah. Dhamma is control of mind. But even when you control the mind, it is forcefully being controlled. So, Upurati is when it automatically comes back. Automatically, it happens. You're not putting an effort to, to stop it from coming back. And then, Samadhan is where you start then focusing. So that's why the Shat Sampati, those four are actually linked to you know, what we tend to use interchangeably, but there are four stages to it. Yeah, yeah very true. Um, and I think there are two words used here, right? Shanta Rajasam and Akalmasham. Right? Mm -hmm. Those are the two words I think used in... Shanta Rajasam is that they are uh, quietening of the Rajasic uh, thing, right? I mean, the various activities. Right. Because if you look at uh, many of the thoughts and those arise from rajas, right? Because the mind is wanting to, it doesn't want to stay in the mm -hmm. moment. It, it, is, it wants to go out into the future. It wants to plan things. It wants to scheme. It wants to judge. Sankalpan vikalp, right? That's what resolution. Sankalpan vikalp, yeah. Right. And the tamasic part would be dwelling on the past. Yeah. Dwelling on the past, right? right? On one side, there is activity. I want to. I want to do this. I want to do that. And then what? And then this. On the other side is, oh, why did I do this? Why did they say this? All that stuff. I mean, so if you look at the thoughts, most of them are centered around this, or or centered around a, uh, a desire that is driving a lot of this, right? So there's 
so where, but where is all that coming from? That to me is being driven from the vasanas that have been right. that are the channels that have been left by the uh, imprints of our own actions, our own um, um, in the things that we have exposed our mind to over, right. over ages, right? So in many ways, uh, we take responsibility. <laughs> uh, we went through that. We ourselves um, are responsible for it, and we have a chance to understand and. And, and do this the right way, right? It's basically that, right? Um, yeah. And here again from sutras, uh, yoga sutras, if you look at it, the, the steps again are the yamas and niyamas, right? Uh, to your point uh, earlier, which is where, you know, how do you get to that shama and dhamma um, by practicing certain things in your daily life, uh, including uh, yeah, the yamas and yamas. So, so I, I I like that in, in especially in the uh, in the meditation, the dhyana chapter, um, combining yoga sutras with uh, the sixth chapter here is really really awesome. <laughs> and one more point I wanted to add was uh, you know similar to what Kishore was mentioning, observing it either in meditation but even in. Uh, in, in, with, with open eyes, when you say here and there, it appears to be that something is in, in the distance, something is here, but it is all in your awareness. It's not still outside your awareness. Wherever, whatever, how much far away you think about, it is still in your awareness. Yes. So it is still not outside it. So if you actually ponder over it, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty profound. Correct. That it, in the awareness, there is nothing outside the awareness. Yeah. And, and the other thing related to that is, if something had, let's say, I mean, there is no way to say what is the ultimate truth, right? In the, in the sense, outside of this, uh, uh, from the point of view of the awareness, because if something has happened, there had to be an observer to confirm it, that it happened, right? Without the observer, let's say, you know, I'm sure like there's so much noise, even though it's silent early in the morning here, but there's so much noise that I'm not hearing, right? So does it mean that those noises don't exist? But then maybe a bat or a dog can hear, hear them. Um, so what is that? For me, it is not, right? Because I, as an, even if there was a sound, and but I, my awareness was not currently there, my mind was not on it, it missed it. And so to me, that didn't happen, right? So the observer has to be there to view that and only then we say that it's happened right so um uh, so there is no absolute reality outside of this observer because the observer always has to be there to confirm that it happened but without the observer uh, there is no absolute of something happening right i, I don't know if i'm explaining this well but uh, uh, it's kind of related to what you just said Right, um, and as you see this um, again in meditation, I, I think it comes together to be able to see it from that outside of mind, outside of body perspective. See, and the other, other thing is that, um, you know, in verse number 30, 
right? While he speaks about, you know, uh, one who sees me in everybody, one is he's talking about um, the, you know, the jiva in, in some way saying that, you know, one who sees me everywhere and every everything in me and etc. The second part is very beautiful, I thought. I thought it was an assurance coming in from Krishna itself saying that, you know, he was, he is with me and he was, you know, uh, something that uh, I will not let go of, you know. Um, so he's never lost and uh, I'm always with him, right? So I think there are two parts to the verse. One is to say, he's dear to me. And the second one is to say for a person like that, you know, I'm definitely not somebody whom he's going to be, you know, um, uh, who's going to lose me, right? So it's an assurance in some way saying that, you know, I'm there, right? So that was something which came out very beautifully, which also correlates with the kind of slokas we've been seeing in the previous sections where it says that one who attains this bliss, right, uh, is also somebody who will not probably lose out on, you know, uh, and he will continue to remain in that state for a, you know, continuous period of time, right? Um, so both of them, I thought, in some way correlated, you know. Um. That's right, because uh, I think that's the difference between uh, meditation and uh, moksha. That meditation is still, when you sit in meditation, you get those glimpses. Whereas once you are realized, then it's there with you all the time. And that all is what why that uh, you will not lose me and will not lose the person. Because lose, then yeah. once you have that knowledge, it doesn't go away. And that is yeah. what I think uh, uh, Kishore was referring to, that at some point in time, that thing will click and you know then it will become uh, forever. Till then, it is more of we sit, we meditate, we practice, and we may get glimpses, the clarity will come, but eventually it has to be the one which will then stay forever, whether with closed eyes or open eyes, it will not go away. Right. The best way to look at it is uh, not in terms of any goals for meditation, right? In, in that I need to achieve X, Y, and Z through this, and the best way to look at it is, it is just part of what I, I, I just do. And this is for the rest of life. And whatever happens, happens. It doesn't matter, but I'll continue to do, uh, uh, follow this without any uh, specific goal in mind. There's no, I, in, the, in the sense that, uh, I mean, there are things that are in, in our control and there are things beyond our control, you know, whether you call it grace, call it something else. Um, that is beyond our control when, if, and when that happens, great, but, um, uh, what is in our control is to be able to, you know, obviously acquire knowledge and also practice the different things in, in our own lives and meditation included. Right. So that's, that's pretty much how I see it. And then there is no pressure if you will. It, the only thing you can do is to do this on a daily basis. That's pretty much it. And, and. Um, what I'm saying, you will definitely see progress, um, if you can call it progress, but basically you start to see changes because the vasanas are the channels in your um, subconscious mind are changing. You will start to see, the, uh, see that, you will start to see dispassion arising a lot more naturally. As you said, that uparati starts to happen. Um, and uh, some a lot of this knowledge that otherwise would 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 
go over the head starts to make sense uh, because you start to, uh, because there is direct perception as well. So, so in many ways, you start to see those changes. You're right, Kishore, and that's absolutely the way it should be done. Uh, that, you know, we shouldn't look for something or some, some goal. But I think we've discussed in many of the classes that unless there's a goal, it's very hard to work towards something. So I feel one of the ways a goal can be described is that you will lose the identity. That's something. So, so I sort of just put that as a goal. As a very the goal because your identity is lost. So whose goal? <laughs> Eventually, but but you know it's something to you know, to think. If it is not, if you haven't lost the identity, that means you haven't gotten it yet. <laughs> so so something to be keep working towards. No, but I understand what you're saying is actually the perfect way, and that's where I think I struggle with meditation because when I sit in meditation, I there's usually tendency to look for either whatever past experiences have been there to look for those Bruce, that yeah. unless I get them, then that means the meditation is not yet done. I'm, I haven't reached that stage. Yes. So, so that's why I stopped doing it because I can't get away from that. Um, so trying to find ways uh, to, to, to get to the same point. Uh, but yeah, I think what you're saying is absolutely right. That's the right way to do meditation, not look for something. And uh, you do see progress, yes. But I, guess, to... I, I guess you have to sort of switch what you're looking for, right? Okay. So instead of um, saying, oh, you know, I want this, the big goal, and if I don't get it, you know, I'm a failure. Um, it's probably better to have some smaller goals along the way. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, no, that was, that's what Kishore was highlighting that if you don't yeah. get it, the failure, but yeah. it is, it will happen sometime somewhere. So that part has happened. Whenever, you know, we'll be ready, it will happen. But at least, yes, it is a kind of a goal. <laughs> it will happen. Uh, it, uh, you know, I am reminded of when I was uh, studying for my uh, CFA. Uh, exams and the the pass rate used to be like really low so i'm like okay you know what if i don't pass what if i don't pass you know that thought would always be there and then i i had to like literally set it aside okay you know it doesn't matter if i pass or not i'm learning something out of this so let me just sit here and study i think that's the kind of uh, um, attitude um, one needs for for any you know moving forward on anything and probably on this as well. True, true. So, so uh, one, uh, one higher like moonshot type goal like, that I, I thought, um, as you pointed out, it's hard to not have a goal and hard to be motivated when there's no goal. I, I, I see that. So one way I was thinking about this is, um, you know, at the end of life, right? <laughs> When we die, the, the body goes away. What goes forward? If you really think about what goes forward, it is a subtle body that's going to move forward. Right? If Obviously, we are all ascribed to the fact that uh, rebirth is, is going to happen. right? So the subtle body moves forward. Mind, intellect, they are the huge part of the subtle body. That's moving forward. Now, and that subtle body 
and the causal body that moves forward has the karmas, the, the vasanas, right? Uh, those channels have been preset and we are trying to leave that that's moving forward in a better place, right? In, during this birth, we have a chance to transform that, modify that, make it better. And what I, the, the vasanas, the, the channels make that better. The samskaras that have been left or yes, in, in this human life, we have a chance to modify it and make it better, right? Because that is the one that's going to move forward. Body is not going to move forward. The wealth that we have accumulated is not moving forward. It's not coming with us. The only thing that's going to move forward is this. So then the whole life then can be thought of as how do I make that better? How do I leave my subtle body in a better place than I found it in the beginning of the birth? Like at birth, whatever I found, and at death, I'm leaving it behind for the next birth. How do I use this time to make that better and leave it in a better place? Right? So I look at it along those lines. Now, uh, so then if all these different practices, uh, you know, I'm, I'm also assuming that uh, um, uh, moksha may or may not happen. We don't know that. It's not in our control. But I can leave the subtle body in a better place so it is more prepared in the next one. Right? So that's one way of looking at it. So how do I then make those channels, those vasanas, leave it in a better place? The only, I don't have direct access to it. The indirect access to it is through all these means. Right? And um, so then that is to me the goal. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, that's wonderful. That's a great way to think about this. Any comments from Muku, Ashish? Muku, you've been very quiet. Yeah. You're muted in case you're. I think he had something, so maybe the listening mode. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think uh, I just remembered one more, uh, you know, point, right? Um, for dhyana, meditation, etc. I think one of the things that many sages have heard them say is to live in the present, live at the moment. Mm. Yeah. I think it's a very difficult thing to do, right? Uh, but uh, but I think it makes a lot of uh, sense to me because by living in the moment, you're actually helping your mind to you know quieten a lot, right? Uh, you're just taking it step by step. You're just uh, not really because what happens is that mind is either fleeting in the past or in the pre or in the future. It's never living in the moment, right? It's either something that has gone right or wrong in the past that you keep holding on to, and then you keep going back to it, or you're anticipating a, you know, a, a something in the future that you're actually working towards, right? Um, so, so it's neither in the uh, past. I mean, it's always in the past or the future. But the idea is to see how you can get it to the present, and uh, live it by the moment, right? And I think. If I were to just uh, extrapolate, I think when we start trying to do that, um, I think it also helps to keep the mind single-pointed. It also helps to keep uh, the mind quietened and probably helps to achieve the kind of objectives that we are setting to do right now. Yeah, 
Yeah. Great point there. Actually, yeah. it's the there's the corollary also to think about it, right? So one of my favorite books uh, outside of uh, Vedanta, which also but talks about similar things is Power of Now, right? By Eckhart Tolle. Because um, there he keeps talking about being in the present, right? The now. Um, and initially I thought they, they, they might be different, but finally, actually if you think deeply, it is the one and same. Uh, let me explain. Um, when you are in the now, right? when you are completely present, what does it mean? It means that the mind is devoid of uh, thoughts, right? That are driving it to the future or to the past, right? If it is completely in the, in the moment, it is not agitated, obviously not. And it is like right there, right? So uh, it is almost thought free because that's when you can really claim that you are in the moment. It is absorbing, uh, it, you know, yes, sense organs might be giving it signals, but you, you're right there. That it's not... High, high level of awareness, yeah. High right. level of awareness. Yeah. So then what happens is, if the mind is so still that it is in the moment, the reflection of Atman on the intellect, right, is there. That's exactly what you're seeing at that point, right? The, like, um, the Atman is seeing its its own reflection in the intellect in a, a less distorted way or no in, without any distortions which means what which is the same as what we are talking about on, on our side here yeah. in Vedanta, uh, on that um, uh, yeah so even in deeper meditation that's exactly what happens because the thoughts slowly die down but it is very hard when we are you know, doing other things to be completely present so Correct. in meditation, they're giving it that chance um, to slowly peel away uh, through different layers to, to get to the point of uh, uh, no, no, no mind or no thought, right? At which point you're, uh, you're left with uh, your own divine self, if you will, right? So and also it's the same thing. In, in other words, um, the corollary of that is also true. Um, yeah. So, and also what I was saying is, uh, you know, if you're going to be able to make your mind stay in the present, it also increases your level of awareness around you, you know, yeah. um, because uh, I think it's more focused and uh, you have a, I mean, a sense of awareness, which is slightly beyond, uh, you know, your own body, right? And uh, it encompasses a larger surrounding. Um, so that's the other point I thought, um, you know, made sense to me. Yeah. In fact, I read it where how to get it into that present moment. It's a very nice yes. technique that does yeah. work is uh, look at three things around you, any three things, whatever you can see, whether it is a, you know, it's a pen, it's a blue color pen. Basically, you're diverting your thoughts from whatever you are thinking otherwise, right? So you just pick up any three things. It's a book. Okay, okay. What book about any three things around you. Just look at them. Then it says, go to the sound. What are you listening? So I can hear your voice. I can hear my, uh, you know, the fan twirling around. Usually by then, you should be able to get otherwise. If, if you go to the, try to find the third sound, you know, you focus on it and you will, you will realize you'll come into the present moment. If for some reason it doesn't work, then go to the next sense, maybe smell. Can you smell something? 
you know if yeah. if even that doesn't work then whether it is cold it is hot so so just all the five organs basically but usually yeah. they say just with the first two you don't even have to complete the third sound you will be in the present moment so i thought it was it's actually very powerful if you are dwelling on something <laughs> from past or you're worried about future just to break it yeah. you know, it's a very powerful technique that's yeah. great yeah great tip thank that's, you yeah. that's really cool yeah one more thing that uh, uh, swami bhumananda in his book uh, brahma vidya abhyasa right it's one of his actually it's a classic um, if you can uh, i think vp uh, rajesh said he is visiting new delhi so if you are able to get uh, to meet or listen to him they also bring usually bring these books uh so please get that it's his first book written in the 1960s brahma vidya abhyasa um rajesh and i happened to meet uh, like visit him here um uh, in, in san jose and we got that book so in that he explains uh, in the chapter on meditation he says <clears throat> um the best way to describe is uh, in in his words right he says just completely experience and feel your own body right just completely uh, experience it right uh, so um and then see what happens is what he's saying like fully be aware of every sensation and just uh, and just feel the body in in uh, in totality right um and i i i try it for yourself basically but uh this has been completely mindful and it's part of the meditation as well i mean uh, somiti in his meditation book talks about starting there and then to be again go to the next level which is again going from the body being aware of uh head to toe just to be yeah. mindful just to understand okay these are the sensations that are happening in my feet and um this is happening in my hand what you will see is a flow of uh again you shouldn't be expecting it but you will see you will start to see some sensations uh that you can uh, be aware of in different parts of the body right you will see the, the, maybe there's pain in your neck or your shoulders actually by giving it awareness that pain subsides um the the and and you you will see this over time it it's starting to uh the energy is starting to flow more easily right because a lot of pain happens because there are knots in the in Good the job. nerves right it's Good. not allowing energy to flow through very easily and as a, when you put awareness to it when you, there is awareness on that particular area it starts to unwind and freeing up the the path for the energy to flow in the same way with the with the heart and so as you go through this and then as you come to your uh, this is exactly what i do basically as you come to uh pay at, at awareness to your um different sense organs in fact most of the sense organs all sense organs are in your on your head in fact or in, in this area um a, a, apart from obviously the uh, um uh, one sense organ that is everywhere um which is that of feeling but you know as you pay attention to the signals that are coming from that so you're looking from inside understanding what signals are being sent from the eyes obviously eyes are closed that's nothing and then uh, there's nothing coming from but be intent on maybe there is a bird chirping somewhere maybe there is a you know 
So paying close attention to that, now you've gone one level deeper, right? Uh, and then ob obviously along, along the way we missed uh, breath. And that was a good one because that's the prana that's driving these thoughts and driving a uh, lot of the processes that are happening inside. And then to uh, the sense organs that the signals that are coming in. And then as you slowly now observe the mind, uh, you, you, now you're in the fourth, and you're like in the third uh, and fourth stages, you're observing your mind and, and intellect, right? So um, uh, going through that process and paying complete attention, uh, you start to see, you know, eventually get to that out of the body. Uh, you're looking at it, at your own body as something else, right? as a thing. Um, and then to be able to um, uh, be completely aware of it, right? And the mind as a thing uh, that you are observing. So you start to get the perspective of the observer or um, uh, and look at it from the observer's uh, side, right? So, um, you know, starting with the body is a, is a, is a, is a good, good way uh, to kind of bring the mind to one thing. Again, it, we are, it's a trick that we are tricking the mind into paying attention to one thing, right? Slowly and diverting the attention. Otherwise, it's just going to keep going away. It's just the nature of the mind. Yeah, many years ago, um, we met a Swamiji on, uh, on an airplane. He was an American uh, Swami, and he was going to India for, um, I think, to the Kummela or something. And I remember he had told us to practice this uh, kind of meditation where you start with you know, your toes and go all the way up to your head and think about each part of your body. Um, and dwell upon each part of your body. Uh, so, yeah. <clears throat> and it's good to also be thankful to each part of the body. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I, 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 I'm like, when I look yeah. at the feet, um, and we take it for granted, right? I mean, so this is a time, even if it's not too much into meditation at that point, you, you're just paying attention to your feet and saying, or to your ankle, if that was not working, just imagine if each of those parts were not working. Uh, yeah. You can imagine what that might be like. So we take it for granted. It's a good time to be grateful to each part of the body. And, and even that, to me, uh, is, is a good way of calming the mind, uh, to one level of calming the mind. Anything else? Anyone? <laughs> yeah, so for me, uh, great insights. Uh, but yeah, I, the, the aha moment for me uh, on these shlokas was coming to 29 and 30, which all of you have uh, already <laughs> told about that, uh, like, it is again coming to Samatvam, seeing everything in yourself and yourself in everything. So with uh, all the meditation techniques also, it is finally boil boiling down to the same thing. So 
whatever we have read so far in all the chapters it is again and again coming back to the same so that that was something which uh, struck to me absolutely One more, uh, I'll just point uh, to a book that I've been reading. I just finished reading. Um, it's called The Untethered Self. I'm not sure if any of you have read it. Um, highly recommend it. I mean, this is from the perspective, it's written by an American author who may or may not be completely familiar with Upanishads and Bhagavad Gita. He just, he mentions yoga and Bhagavad Gita in different contexts, but primarily refers to um, uh, Ramana Maharshi when it comes to uh, the Indian context. But anyway, it's called The Untethered Self and uh, talks about uh, reaching the same point from the perspective of a direct perception um, method, if you will. Right? I mean, that it's finally all the same thing. We, we, we're just talking, uh, uh, just to give it a different me method name, that, that's, why I'm, that's what I meant. Um, there's a uh, how do you perceive directly the self, right? So is the uh, uh, so he, he talks about various things. It, it's a very interesting book, and you'll see that even somebody uh, they um, they're coming at it from a different angle, but they uh, to understand what that is, he, he keeps relying on on the teachings of Ramana Maharshi, and he keeps going back to that to explain what that is. Um, and also uh, from Christianity in, in his, uh, in, but then uh, how, how do you, uh, how to realize it, how to uh, uh, be one with it. And, and he talks about it from the perspective of energy, uh, talks about it um, and how you, he says, as you go inward, you also go higher. Um, the, the way he explains it is as you go deeper and deeper and deeper into the subtler states, you start to go higher and higher and higher until just like a balloon, um, there is air inside and air outside, but at some point uh, it goes away and then it just becomes one, right? So he explains that whole thing. And I think even here, um, uh, I think Swamiji mentions it in some, some place, I forget yeah. which one, um, uh, the, the, the oneness, I, I think it's in that particular, I think it's 27 or 28. Uh, the one with Brahman uh, uh, state. Yeah, so the way he explains it is that it go, go inner, 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 and then it starts to go higher and, and eventually becomes one, right? So very beautiful book. I was surprised, pleasantly surprised at the level of, uh, I, I obviously the, uh, he's not been exposed to um, many of this because in his um, references, he doesn't mention um, he, he mentions Upanishads, but doesn't mention anything beyond that. Uh, but from somebody who has not been, um, who has not been completely, uh, is not aware of many of these teachings, he's coming at it in a different angle, arrives at the same place. Um, it was very pleasantly surprising to see it. It's called The Untethered Self. And I'm actually going to get a physical copy of that book because it's very good. Untethered self or untethered soul? Soul, sorry. 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 It's Michael, a soul. Michael Allen Singer. Yeah. I yeah. looked it up. Untethered, untethered soul. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, so for next week, we'll do next five shlokas, 31 to 35. Yeah, thank you. Good discussion. And today I didn't prep, so I was just listening more, but that was good. Good to hear the insights. Thank you. Thanks, Boko. Kishore, I just, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. You know, I, I just wanted to understand if you have anything to, you know, share with respect to Patanjali Yoga Sutra. I just wanted to take a brief read into it. Any concise book, anything that you want to recommend? Yeah, I will. I actually posted it. I you can ping, you can ping me separately, it. not a problem. I'll, just I'll, to you. I'll send it separately to you. Uday had asked me, I'd send him the information as well. I'll send it to okay. you. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. Thank you, yeah. Om Sarve Bhavantu Sukhinaha, Sarve Shantu Mahamaya, Sarve Bhadrani Pashantu, Makaschetukha Bhavantu. Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. Om Shri Guru Pyonamaha, Hari Om. Have a lovely weekend. If anybody is interested in half an hour, uh, there's a talk by Swami Sarupriyanandji. It from bit from chit. <laughs> so okay. When is it? I'll I'll post the link on the. Sure, on the sure. Link. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Right. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Bye. Have a good Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Hariyo. <laughs>